Lectionary Lab Live is recorded live in Gainesville, Florida and Brasstown, North Carolina. Welcome, everybody, to the Lectionary Lab Live. I'm John Fairless. I'm here with my Bubba, Delmer Chilton. Say hey, Bubba. Hey, Bubba. Hey, man. Good to hear you today. Hopefully, our technology holds out and everybody else is going to get to hear you this week. We had uh, just uh, troubles between ourselves and our remote studio. Actually, that's not a joke. We do have a remote studio where we upload and master our recordings and uh, we had some technical equipment problems on our end and got those fixed and somehow the second half of the show Delmer just uh, did not transmit other than to me let me tell you it was excellent Bubba I really enjoyed (laughs) we can say that with no 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 threat of contradiction it was a great show it was a great show (laughs) I love talking about Thomas and we're sorry we did not get that out but thank you all we we have a kind and forgiving audience and uh we appreciate it so we're going to try to stay on track today well well, on the other hand John it was Mm -hmm. the second Sunday of Easter the in the in the (laughs) <laughs> the regular parlance the first sunday after easter mm-hmm. and a lot of people were not preaching that <laughs> i used to always take the sunday after uh, easter and i went I to know. the beach for the first time of the year that was my first beach visit every year i so. know many colleagues that uh were off for a variety of reasons last week hope y'all enjoyed it those that preached i hope it went well and uh, we're back on track. So uh, we're going to talk uh, text and preaching today for the third Sunday of Easter. These are the texts for April the 23rd, 2023. Bubba, uh, good stuff. We've got some continuity uh, in, yep. in some of our texts. And then, of course, we're simply talking about what is it about Jesus after the resurrection? What does this mean yep. for us? And so tell me, this, uh, tell us what you got on your mind and let's let's get Let's get to it. Well, as as you mentioned, uh, the Easter season turns on exploring the implications of a religion founded on the miraculous. Hmm. Uh, both Juda- Ju- Judaism, there is the miraculous element relative to the uh, Exodus. Uh, escape mm-hmm. from Egypt, et cetera, et cetera. And that's their foundational event. And for us, the resurrection is a the foundational event. And yeah. it's the the text and themes throughout Easter um, turn on how do we deal with that. Um, mm-hmm. uh, main text for today, and I'm going to start with that in a minute, is uh, the Luke Road to Emmaus. And you've got... Uh, the resurrection referred to you've got jesus appearing and disappearing all over the place and that (laughs) being known in the eucharist and that's a a miraculous miraculous floating everywhere um the um acts text is turns on how do you respond to the resurrection what must we do very clearly stated there (laughs) 
in Peter, uh, this is probably a baptismal exhortation. Uh, how do we respond to the fact of our salvation? And again, the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the psalm turns on how does one heal? How does one respond to the miraculous yeah. of being healed near death, almost in hell, mm. and then recovering? And how does one respond? So that's the, the theme of all of Easter and particularly of our text of the day. As we, as 21st century folk, um, the miraculous gives us some problems. <laughs> it, it gave problems, uh, let's be fair, to the first century folk, too. You mm-hmm, will notice mm-hmm. how many times people run around and say, say what? Yeah. Uh, they knew yeah. the dead stayed dead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blind people didn't just up and see. Start seeing, yeah. who, who, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Church historian, um, both uh, faculty at Duke and later mostly at Nor- Notre Dame, uh, George Marsden wrote yes. a book after retirement a few years ago um, on C.S. Lewis's book, Mere Christianity. And in that book, he, he talked about Lewis's ability to help us understand the two ways of seeing through a text. Okay. He said, one is the hermeneutic of suspicion, right. in which we try to explain away the unbelievable. We see through the text, like a, like a skeptic watching a magician do a trick and trying to see how it was done. <laughs> yeah. You know, we talk about, I could see, he was saying so-and-so, but I could see through that, that kind yeah. of see through. Yeah. And too often we stop there. There's nothing wrong with doing that. Looking mm-hmm. carefully, combing through the text. That's what we do with historical criticism. Yeah. But then Morrison pointed out that Lewis invites us to a different way of seeing through. Mm-hmm. The hermeneutic of interpretive naivete mm-hmm. of seeing through another's eyes. So when we read the text that Luke, the evangelist we call Luke, wrote for us about this story of the Cleopas and the other disciple meeting Jesus on the road to Emmaus, it's important that we see this event through the eyes of Luke and ask ourselves, what can we learn? Yeah. Well, by suspending our hermeneutic of suspicion, trying to see through and see what did Luke see and what is he trying to tell us? Yeah. It's a lot like... um I'm a movie fan, right? Love, yeah, love movies, yeah. uh, certain actors and actresses. I, you know, I'll, I'll watch anything that they're in. Love to watch them work. And movies often, some of the best movies, often ask us to exercise uh, the suspension of disbelief. Exactly. Right? And, and you're sitting there going, okay, I know that's not really happening. I know that's a special effect. I know that's a stunt. I know this, that, or the other. But... If I'm going to enjoy the story, if I'm going to get into it, I can suspend that and yep. and just go with it and see what happens. Um, you know, <laughs> so, some people say, well, that's dangerous when you're reading the Bible. Well, I don't know. Uh, if you can suspend it, that means you can always pick it back up again, you know. And yeah. Thomas, we just preached Thomas, uh, great, you know, I called him the patron saint of skeptics. 
Oh, he's yeah. like, I, I don't think so. I'm going to have to see that for myself. And see, y'all know the story. Yeah. For, for, for me, this is not an either or proposition. Right. That's what we're saying. It's not either yeah. or, but it's mm-hmm. bad to forget, do the one and not the other. Yeah. Don't, it don't forget to bring incomplete. that that second lens along. Yeah. I like it. Well, as, and it, it's like John Berglund taught preaching at Duke back in the 70s and his uh, kind of homey, folksy uh, illustration of this was, if I come to your house for cream potatoes, please leave the peelings in the kitchen. (laughs) We all know you got to peel them, pick out the eyes, all the things you got to do, but don't bring it out and do it on the dining room table and then serve it to me. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You got, don't forget to, to, to see the story, see what's mm-hmm. what the author's trying to do. So let's look at Luke that way. Let's do it. Um, you know, well, let's just admit that uh, at certain levels, if you want to apply the hermeneutic of suspicion, a, an appearing and disappearing body, a resurrected Christ, mm-hmm. they, they were known to him in the breaking of the bread. They suddenly recognized. Those are all things we'd like to explain. Right. But don't don't stop there. You can mm-hmm. you can do what you want to do with how to explain it. But make sure you hear him. Now one of the one of the things of thinking about seeing through certain eyes is as I am part of a liturgical tradition in which the primary weekly worship service is structured around weekly Eucharist, weekly communion. Mm-hmm. So I see this text, I can't help but see this text through those eyes, particularly as I prepare this week to preach in an Episcopal right. church. I've been invited right. and preach and celebrate. So I immediately saw this text and, you know, thank God my disciples of Christ mentor, <laughs> Fred, Fred Craddock in his work calls this, this is obviously a Eucharistic text. So I got <laughs> it's pretty easy coverage. to see it anyhow. Yeah, right. Yeah, it is. Well, what what happens for me is I look at it and I said, "Oh, this is the outline of the tip of of, uh, of Latin, what we call Latin rite, Western rite. Just seekers, mm-hmm. they're on their way to, they're headed in, they're moving, mm-hmm. and uh, you know these first thirteen verses, thirteen and fourteen, and Jesus is with them." So they know, you know, there's somebody there with them, but they're not sure who it is. As we come to church, the the question on our minds is, what is the word from the Lord? And we gather with different levels of faith. Mm-hmm. 15 and 17, they're unaware, it says. So then you said he says, what happened? And they tell him, this is the scripture reading. Hmm. They're just, they're 18 through them, 24. Yeah. They're telling, here's what happened. And then there's the sermon, 25 through 27. <laughs> oh, you didn't understand. Let me explain it to you. He Bible, yeah. spl- he Messiah explains it to him. <laughs> Messiah explain. There you go. He Messiah explain. Then beginning with the Moses and the prophets, he interpreted the things about himself in the scripture. So then 28 through 31, we have the Eucharist. Hmm. He finished. They said, come in the evening. So he went in and he was at the table. And here's the motions that we talk about. Take the bread, bless it, break it, and give it. Give it. Mm-hmm. 
when we talk about, you know, liturgically talk about what are the actions of the Eucharist, right there they are. Then here's the, the miraculous line. I love. Then their eyes were opened. They recognized him and he vanished from their sight. Boom. The, now you see him. Now the you don't. Fleetingness <laughs> of Jesus. Mm. Uh, you also, then you have the response. You know, there's always the response to the preached word. There is an affirmation of faith. Were not our hearts burning with us when he was talking on the road while we opened scriptures to us? Mm-hmm. They looked at us. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And then there is the witness. We say at the end of the worship service, go in peace to serve the Lord. They went in peace, got up and returned to Jerusalem and they witnessed. So there's the outline of the typical worship service. I mean, that's immediately what I see. And that could be in some places for some churches and in that kind of Lutheran, Episcopal and other weekly Eucharist traditions. An approach to saying, "Why do we do what we do? Look, let's look here. Mm-hmm. This is this is what's going on." Um, there's, as I said, there's the with the first form of seeing through. You spend a little time saying, "Well, how did he appear and disappear, and how is he known and unknown?" And admit, I think homiletically, you just admit those questions if you want to. Yeah. But then you, you say, "But let's this. look deeper." Yeah. How do we? How do? What is Luke telling us? How do we? What do we see through Luke's eyes? And how, the question is: Think about when this is a kind of a first form hermeneutic. Who is he writing to, and when? So, when the Gospel of Luke came about, it was late, later than the, the letters. And so, who is he writing to? As he writes this, he's writing to people who have not, who did not either meet Jesus when he between birth and uh, crucifixion, nor did they see the risen Lord. Mm -hmm. This is who he's mostly writing to. And so this story assures them you can still meet the Lord Uh, through scripture. Were or not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us, while he was opening the scripture to us? In the pre reading of the script, in the scriptures, we meet Christ. Right. And we meet him in the breaking of the bread, where elsewhere in the, the New Testament, the Christian scriptures, we find that regular breaking of the bread, and according to Luke, is what the church does. I mean, Acts two forty two. You know they devoted themselves. Uh, we have to many things, word, including yeah. breaking the bread. We have word and sacrament right here. Word and yeah. sacrament that Scripture creates faith, and Christ is revealed in the Eucharist. And then there's the exploration of the question of this is my body. What does it mean to be the body? What is revealed to us in broken bread? Um, what does it mean for the church to be the broken body of Christ? I mean, all of those implications mm-hmm. come welling up. But underneath it all, Luke is saying to the early church, no, you didn't meet Jesus uh, while he was a human being walking the earth. You did not encounter him between resurrection and ascension, but you have still met Christ. Yeah. In the reading and preaching of Scripture, and in the celebration of the Eucharist. 
We are still Luke's, meeting. Yeah, still yeah, meeting and, and we, still and, hearing from Christ. And, and that's the, our the, assurance. Sure. That's it. And that's the, again, uh, uh, the, the Thomas story that, you know, Jesus said, look, Thomas, it's great that you can see me and believe. Yep. But I'm telling you, there's a whole bunch of other folks that are never going to see me. And yet they're still yeah. going to believe. And that in itself is also a miraculous thing. And well, you know, here we have it. Then I think for, for particularly the Gospels in the season of Easter, but also for the other Christian scriptures we'll be reading, Acts and Peter, that's an important part of the message is how do we believe when we haven't seen mm-hmm. it. Christ himself? And the answer is always through the witness. Uh, through scripture, through other Christians, and through the Eucharist. Yeah. Uh, I like it. I, if you I'm going to come time. back to, oh, I was just going to say, I'm going to come back a little bit to the gospel, but I, I want us to get through these texts because I'm, I'm looking for, I think I mentioned, uh, well, y'all didn't hear the show last week. Duh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On that show that you didn't get to hear, I mentioned uh, part of my work through this uh, season of Easter are the connections that pop up between the epistle, Peter's yep. words and okay. the gospel. So I'll come back to that. Wait, wait till we get the epistle and we can play with that yep. for a second. That'll be great. Yep. That'll be great. So um, I'm going to go there now, go go back to Acts, go through Psalms yep. and into the mm-hmm. epistle, and then we can talk more about Luke. So in, in Acts, they have, there's one of my absolute um, favorite bits here that I think works really well is the bit about what should we then, what should we do? What should we do? And I think that's a question many of us ask. Uh, There's the what and the so what. So what we we have here in this text is, of course, we start with that line that many of the, the last week's lesson began with, that 14a raised his voice and addressed him. And then we skip over most of the sermon. So we get to the last line. Verse 36 is his conclusion. The therefore, Mm -hmm. you should know God made him both Lord and Messiah, this Jesus whom you crucified. God is the actor here. This is the important thing. This is, at this stage, they don't talk a lot about what Jesus said or did. They talk a lot about what God did through and with Jesus. So God is the actor. And he said, know that God made Jesus both Lord and Messiah. So Lord, those are two different things. It's important to explore them. Uh, uh, the, the one who came to save and the one who rules. And because you go back to the scriptures that were referred to from the Psalms, one is about uh, the Messiah will, you know, be raised. And the other is about will will assume the Davidic throne. So he has proven that with scripture, this Jesus whom you crucified and the um, house of Israel, um, but not the Jews in general. What he was really talking to is those, the, the community, the leaders. Yes. Now. And so they were cut to the heart. When I was growing up, we called that cut to the quick, um, hmm. whatever expression fits. Yeah. Um, I remember, I was thinking the other night about, they say things lately, said, it just slew me. Yeah, that just... I would just slay, it just slayed me. Mm-hmm. Something that really hits you. 
Yeah. And it really hit them and they recognized that and they cried out, brothers, what should we do? What's interesting is in response to that, Peter goes back first to John the Baptist, Mm -hmm. uh, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ so your sins may be forgiven. So it's a a, uh, John the Baptist type baptism. But then it adds the promise that Christ made about the coming of the Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And you will receive the Holy Spirit. Um, So he's... The early church is exploring what did it mean to be baptized beyond what John had said. What difference does the resurrection make? And I think that's where it is. You, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39 is in very important because of the way it does the ripple effects. Mm, yeah. The promise is to you, for your children, for all those who are far away. Now, the question is, what are those who are far away? Well, in other places in the early church, they talked about the Jews as those close and the Gentiles as those far away from God. Mm-hmm. I think this is not, ju- not just the, the Jews and the Jews in diaspora that Peter intends, but they are, particularly Luke, as he writes this, intends, but he's talking about the Jews and Gentiles. That expands because in the next line he says, everyone whom the Lord calls to him. So it starts with those gathered in that space and their descendants and to the Gentiles that we know of and everyone, the universality of it. This is the cascading of the gospel. This is what happens. You can call it a spillover effect or a spreading effect. I like the word cascade and you just see it. And... It goes yep. to everyone whom the Lord has called. And for me, we mentioned this a lot. That is just God's continuing work that we've seen basically from the beginning, but certainly when, from the covenant with Abram. Uh, well, this is, all and, the nations, yeah. And 39 and, and, clo- and the rest of the text, but 39 reminds us once again of the same point that Luke made in the road to a story of the road to a mess, which is, to the audience he's writing to, yeah, you don't have to have met Jesus personally, either while between birth and crucifixion or in his period of resurrection before the ascension, because you will learn of him in scripture, that's what Peter's just done, mm-hmm. and in sacrament. In baptism, you receive Here the Holy Spirit. Other there side of so once yep. again, the promise is you don't the the assurance that you can meet Christ mm-hmm. in the church, in Scripture, and yeah. in sacrament. Love it. Uh, the psalm that's tied to that is obvi- is is basically tied because of um, the the crying out the issue of almost dying and being. It's almost a some people consider a resurrection psalm. The snares of death encompassed me. The mm-hmm. pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. Mm-hmm. I suffered distress and anguish. Sometimes it's been applied to Christ going to hell and being brought back. Mm-hmm. It's also that that sort of tie-in with the resurrection. Uh, originally, uh, this was a thanksgiving for healing and rescue. 
psalm, a ritual for someone who had been near death and cried out to God and made promises, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, when I'm healed, I'm fulfilling the vows. And so today it interweaves a testimony. Uh, That's mostly the first part, 1 through 15, where he's testifying Mm -hmm. about how desperate his situation was. And he cried out Mm -hmm. to God and God rescued him. Mm-hmm. He's telling people that he has, there's a bit of prayer in 16 and 17 and said, Lord, I appreciate, I, I'm so happy and I will fulfill my <laughs> vows. And yeah. then it, again, kind of testimony to the, to the congregation again, I will pay my vows in the presence of all the people mm-hmm. yeah. in the temple, in the courts of the Lord. I'm, now the question is how to... does that apply to us? And the question yeah. tying back to Acts is they came out of this hidden place where they had encountered the risen Lord. And then the Holy, when the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they spill out after mm. that, and they begin to testify before all the people right. about what God has done about the resurrection. I think that's kind of that tie there. And the question for us today is how do we see that? Mm. And it is that the resurrected Christ is still present with us in any distress and pain we have. See it. And, uh, you know, this fellow's not about to shortchange God. <laughs> I love the testimony. I had one foot in the grave. The snares of death and coming. Yeah. Uh, had one foot in the grave and, uh, barely, uh, you know, I, I could feel death calling for me and I prayed and God helped me. I'm not going to shortchange God here. I'm going right. to, uh, I'm going to pay my vows and, uh, not to pay God back, but to be faithful. In testimony. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So then on to first Peter. Mm-hmm. Um, reads like a baptism sermon. I mentioned that assumption earlier uh, or a catechism exhortation. I think we can assume it is targeted toward Gentile Christians. You see in verse 18, you know that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your ancestors. Uh, the the Jewish people had this, uh, and the early Christians who were Jewish had this um, feeling of moral superiority over the cultures around them. Mm-hmm. Um, one can look at the Greco-Roman world and realize there were, uh, there, in by Jewish lights, uh, there were questionable morality, but there were other um, mm-hmm. moral, tradi- very strong moral traditions among the Greeks and Romans. So it's a mixed bag, but you get his point. He was saying yeah. to the people that they converted, "You, you, these, these futile, futile ways of approaching God, uh, you've been called away from those to the right, been ransomed, and the ransomed ties in with uh, a strong Hebrew scripture tradition of uh, being released from slavery, right, by financial means." And what Peter's playing with here is we are ransomed from our slavery to sin, as he says, not with perishable things like silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without defect or blemish. So it ties into the sacrificial system in the temple. Um, I'm always careful with this because I don't want to go too far down the substitutionary atonement route. But um, that's not an all-encompassing only way of understanding, but it is an important scriptural way of seeing 
what happened in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and Lutherans among us, <laughs> uh, Luther's small catechism, the second article yeah. of the creed, Luther says, not with silver and gold, but with holy blood and innocent suffering and death. <laughs> there so you go, if you want to throw a good Luther quote, go to the small catechism and article two on Jesus Christ and Luther's explanation. Yeah. So. The man could turn a phrase. That's man can turn a phrase. Yeah. Um, sometimes for good, and sometimes you can also look up Luther's, in, Luther's insults, and he was pretty good at that, too. Pretty good at it. Yeah, yeah. We can use our words. Um, yeah, either way. I want to kick in just a minute on yeah. uh, on the show that we did not get out last week. I talked a bit about this a uh, little bit of a, it's not a, a series so much as just a thought and i've been working with the epistle text and the gospel and i find a good bit of consonance pretty much each week uh good back and forth uh from each one of those uh last week with uh, the story of thomas uh, you know you had the whole thing jesus emphasis on blessed are those who do not see but believe and peter wrote to his congregation of next generation believers you have not seen him but you love him uh and and so talking about that uh, importance of faith for those of us who haven't seen today the play for me is on the heart right uh and so uh, really it's kind of at the coda of the gospel session when as you've already said the response and the the testimony w- were not our hearts burning within us yeah. Right, this encounter with Jesus, were not our hearts burning. And Peter, uh, among the things he's saying to this church is, now, after all of this, all of this that Christ has done and all that God is doing and, and well, what Christ has done and uh, this destiny that has come before the foundation of the world and your your hearts have been purified, your, I mean, excuse me, your souls have been purified. Now, he says, love one another deeply from the heart. So that's going to work well for the people in my pews. I've got this basic idea, you know, our our, our Western uh, Protestant tradition has been has greatly emphasized the head, right? We've been a pretty rational uh, kind of faith, um, following the Enlightenment. Uh, you know, we're we're heirs of Aristotle through Thomas Aquinas and and all down the way. We don't have to make uh, a whole lot of case about that. Perhaps a balance toward the heart will help us, right? It might be due or even a little overdue. And I'm informed at this point by my sojourn through the United Methodist Church and the writings of John Wesley. Let thy religion be the religion of the heart, that which brings righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. Um, So I've been thinking about this whole religion uh, of the heart thing. Um, I found a helpful reading uh, by a Benedictine monk, Brother David Steindl Rast. Uh, I'm going to put this, I think, in the uh, in uh, the commentary on the on the plus uh, premium uh, lectionary lab premium. Religion doesn't start out with the notion of God. It starts with personal experience, the overwhelming experience of ultimate belonging. And that's just, it's just 
tripping up to me here that we often kind of do as uh, another writer who was commenting on Wesley said, Wesley was not anti-intellectual or anti-theological or anti-cradle. But Wesley had personal experience with the way a clever mind can invest too heavily in doctrinal orthodoxy and twist it into a strategy for avoiding the presence of God. So I'm just walking around in those fields this week between these two commentaries on uh, the heart. Uh, wow, fire in our hearts. We're not our hearts burning. And uh, Peter encouraging the church, you know, yeah, we take care of all this other stuff. But at the ending of it, be sure that we love one another deeply from the heart. So maybe something for somebody to think about. Mm-hmm. My sojourn among Methodism, there's a, and then becoming a Lutheran, there's a tie there, of course, when Wesley went to the worship service on uh, Aldersgate Street and the sure, Moravian was reading mm-hmm. from Luther's preface to the Romans. That's right. And if you've ever read Luther's preface to the Romans, you will find Wesley's word, next words, uh, very true. My heart mm-hmm. was strangely Strange. warmed. Correct. My heart was strangely warmed. Now, the point is, it's strange to read Luther's preface to the Romans, and that would <laughs> warm anybody's heart. But yeah. nonetheless, that ties in. You know, Luther, there uh, was Wesley's something going on there. Was mm-hmm. His heart was strangely warmed. One of the things you, you that I was going to mention about this text uh, of, from First Peter is he goes from saying the what, how you were ransomed by the precious mm-hmm. blood to the so what. And he come, the three key words that we think of was attached to Paul, mm-hmm. faith, hope, and love are there. Yeah. But it's in Peter because mm-hmm. he says, well, what happens when this happens? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Through him, you come to trust in God. So that who raised him, from the dead and gave him glory again, God as the actor so that your faith and hope are set on God. That's the end of verse 21. Mm -hmm. And then in the end of verse 22, you have genuine love, love one another deeply from the heart. So the what is Christ's death and resurrection on your behalf, ransoming your soul. How do we respond to that Mm -hmm. with faith and hope? placed on God and love directed toward one another. And when you were talking about the the too firm a focus on orthodoxy, Mm -hmm. um, true orthodoxy leads to orthopraxy. Correct. uh, uh, Right practice. Mm -hmm. And uh, again, one of my favorite quotes from Luther is, we are saved by faith, not by works. But if you have no works, there's something wrong with your faith. <laughs> something amiss. Faith is a yeah. lively thing which yes. produces works of love. Yeah. That's it. All right, man. I like it. I think we've turned over a stone or two today that might yes. be worth, uh, you know, everybody exploring. You'll, if you hear something, you see something, uh, go to work with it. We'll, uh, uh, we'll, we'll get this out and there'll be some written stuff. Delmer will have a sermon and I'll have some commentary thinking about the text. 
Uh, we enjoy doing this. We really do appreciate the support and encouragement we get. Uh, send us a note. Uh, we get those from time to time. Just reply to the uh, the email where this comes to you or there on the website, lectionarylab.com. Uh, reply to any one of those, and we'll, we'll get a note back. Uh, we thank you for it. We plan to be back next week. And uh, we will uh, see you all then. Bubba, not much left to do today, I don't reckon, other than to tell everybody bye. Everybody bye. Lectionary Lab Live is a Two Bubbas and a Bible production. Our opening theme is Next Steps, performed by Half.Cool. We go out today with One Bread, One Body. Written by Father John Foley, Society of Jesus, and performed by Chris Brunel.
one cup of blessing.